Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Prose. Casper, I just got a wonderful, wonderful haircut. It looks so good. Thank you. I feel great with it. But I cut off over a foot of hair, and that means my long hair was sort of pulling my curls in one way. And now that I have short hair, I need a totally different hair care routine. Mm. Luckily, Prose is made for people not hair and skin types, personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And so I used the review and refine feature, and I was like, yes, I still want vegan hair care products. Yes, I still want to smell like a lavender field, (laughs) but my hair is no longer long. It is short to medium length. Please send me a different formula of shampoo and conditioner. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash Harry Potter. So you get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash Harry Potter. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash Harry Potter. Chapter 5. The Whomping Willow. The end of the summer holidays came too quickly for Harry's liking. He was looking forward to getting back to Hogwarts, but his month at the borough had been the happiest of his life. I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And I'm Matt Potts. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Well, Matt, it is your turn to tell a story. Our theme this week is anxiety. What story are you going to make me anxious with? You know, I had a lot of trouble thinking of a story about anxiety, actually. I think it's because I had trouble in my mind pinning down like the distinction between anxiety and worry or anxiety and concern. And a lot of the stories that I came up with wandered around the edges of those ideas. And also, I think it's because there's some people I love in my life who have uh, diagnosable anxiety disorders. And so that that makes me approach anxiety a particular way and think about anxiety as I experience it as, you know, not what these loved ones of mine experience. And so The story I'm going to tell is actually one that's from very recently in our lives. Our kids started school in new school systems within the last like two and a half weeks. And for two of our kids, the younger kids, the boys, this was not a very nervous making prospect. Elementary school, grade school is it's easier to make friends. I think easier to transition. The boys are just make friends easily and we're looking forward to it. They didn't seem to have a lot of anxiety about the upcoming transition. My daughter, Camilla, 
I think, had some anxiety. I mean, she was excited about the transition. She was excited about moving up to the city. But also, sixth grade's hard, hard transition year. It's the first year of middle school. I think Camilla would have been anxious about that regardless. But to start in a new school, in a new school system, where you don't know anybody, there was a lot of anxiety. And it wasn't just for Millie. It was also for her mom and me. Because we were also kind of empathically projecting ourselves into her situation and thinking about how anxious we would be if we had to do what she was going to do, right? And we had a great plan for the first day of school. We, you know, we got outside, took our pictures in in the new school outfits, and then we left a full half hour early to take everybody to school. The boys' school starts first, so we dropped them off first. It was easy, no problem. Everyone was friendly and sweet. The boys immediately went inside. It felt great. Everything was going great. And we hopped in the car to go to Camilla's school down the road. And we went plenty early because we were going to park the car and all get out together and walk together and have a nice goodbye, comfort each other, and all feel great. So we're driving around the school. It's a street cleaning day in Cambridge. So all the spots that are actually legally available are taken. So we're driving around in these ever-widening circles. And then finally, Millie has to get out of the car, right? And so we pull over and stop traffic. And I hop out of the car because Colette's driving. And Millie all of a sudden says, I think I'm going to throw up. And we're like, okay, don't throw up. But before you, if you are going to throw up, step out of the car so you don't throw up in the car. So we get Millie out of the car. Colette shouts, I'm going to go find a parking spot. Don't let her go inside without me saying goodbye. And she drives off and starts right. And so I go up and I try to calm everyone down. I kind of, I hold on to Millie's arm and then we're in front of the school and the principal comes out and welcomes us and everything kind of calms down. And then Colette screeches up in the car again and breaks and says, you get in the car and drive around. I'm just saying goodbye to Millie. So then I hopped in the car and Colette got out. I drove around looking for a spot, feeling very anxious. This is not the, the morning we planned for our anxious daughter. And eventually I found Colette again. And she said that right after Colette hopped out of the car. Millie just kind of took a deep breath and said, okay, I'm ready. Said goodbye. Walked in. Whatever was in there just kind of dissipated or her courage got up and she walked in and all went away. Obviously, I know where anxiety is in the story. I think it was operating in in all of us. What I want to kind of think about with respect to anxiety is how like anxiety compounds or how like how it's social, right? How one's anxiety builds on another. And like you notice the people around you are anxious, you get more anxious and then they notice you're anxious and then they get more anxious, Right. So that's the one thing I want to think about. The second thing I want to think about is just sort of the physiological kind of aspect of anxiety, right? Like, at the beginning of the day, I think all of us had what's often called butterflies, right? Had butterflies in our stomachs or whatever, and we felt this kind of nervousness. And maybe that's anxiety, maybe it's not. But the way Millie tells it, she's like, those butterflies became a bowling ball all at once, right when we were stopping the car and we couldn't find a place to Stop. Like it became a physiological response. She felt like she had to throw up. And that was real, like a real physiological response. And that's the other thing I want to think about with this, because etymologically speaking, the root word for anxiety actually comes from the word for choking or strangling. Already implied in the word anxiety is this connection between the affective and the physical, between the emotional and the physiological, right? That, That our emotions aren't just something that happen inside our bodies, are separate from our bodies, but actually emotion is bodily, right? Mm -hmm. Like what it means to feel nervous is for your body to react in this visceral way, right? But also I think that part of what calmed Millie when her stomach was like that is like she grabbed onto my arm and we kind of held each other as we walked in. And so I think the cure for it to some degree was kind of physiological too, right? We touched each other and we held onto each other and we said, we're here for each other, even though both of us feel 
terrible right now, right? And that gave her like the moment she needed to kind of turn around and walk into the school and do her thing. And things have been great since then. So just to give a happy ending to the story. Well, Matt, I'm glad everything is great with Millie because Millie's great. What we have in this chapter is also first day of school. And we also have car and parking issues. We have transportation issues again. I mean, I don't want to be too bold. I feel like our decision making is a little bit better than some of the decision making of some people who are running around in this in this chapter. But, you know, we'll see in our discussion where we end up. No, I think that you do make better decisions than 12 year old boys. Okay, that's good. You and Colette. Yeah. Better. Okay, well, can you count me in? I'll recap first. I'd love to. Three, two, one, go. So this is my least favorite chapter in the entire Harry Potter series, and everybody is very anxious to get to Platform 9 and 3 quarters. Mr. Weasley is lied to Molly about the car being extendable. uh, Ginny forgets her diary. They all go. The boys can't get into the platform, so they decide, obviously, to fly the car to Hogwarts. They crash into the Whomping Willow upon landing. Snape is like, boy, are you in trouble. McGonagall punishes them, but not really. And then the boys are heroes. Freaking hate this chapter. That was 30 seconds? It was 30 seconds. Wow. Okay. It seemed like it seemed like much shorter. You're very calm. You summarize the chapter well. The exact right amount of detail. It was a masterful performance. I do appreciate the compliment and I do resent the tone of surprise. Okay. Matt, it's your turn. I don't care if you're ready. Three, I know you don't, and two, I'm not. one, go. So summer is ending, and Harry's jealous because the family life of the borough is so great. And they hop in the car to go to uh, to King's Cross, and the car is big, and they forget the diary, and they get the diary back, and they can't get on the platform. So what do they do? The only thing they can do, which is hop in a car, commit grand larceny, and fly through the air. Uh, the car starts to fail. They start to crash. They crash into a tree, and the tree's is worse than the fall and then oh they're caught and they're not punished and they're heroes in Gryffindor I had to google if it was larceny I was like isn't it grand theft auto but it's also larceny Matt did you know that the etymology of larceny is robber it's the latin for robber I had heard, and I think this is true, that that Latin word for robber derives from an earlier Greek word, which means mercenary soldier. Oh, my God. I love that, actually. Isn't that cool? That is kind of that cool. Is, that is really cool. So, Matt, I think that we have to start with the fact that I hate this chapter. I mean, I, I had heard in some of our preparations and on Twitter a little bit that uh-huh. you hate this chapter. I yep. was a little bit surprised. I'm not sure what drives your loathing so much. I do think it is in part anxiety-based. It makes me anxious to watch people make such unconsidered decisions. And the, the alacrity with which these boys decide, yes, we must fly to school, really frustrates me. And I do think that it makes me anxious to have them be so dumb. But I would also love your sense, like, as a theologian, about what we do with the parts of books that we love that seem to make so little sense. Like, it just makes absolutely no sense to me. It does not seem in any way realistic to me that the boys wouldn't wait 30 seconds for Molly and Arthur, that Molly wouldn't have instantaneously noticed that Ron didn't get on to the train, 
and like gone back out looking for him. None of this makes any plot sense to me. And so I get so distracted by the contrivance of this chapter that I can't enjoy it. And I know that you are someone who struggles uh, with parts of the Bible and then goes up and preaches on it anyway. And so I would just love your sense with what we do with these moments with our sacred text where we're like, I'm just distracted by how annoying this is. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think this is part of the trick of of treating this as a sacred text, right? Because first of all, I mean, you present like a particular situation, which is like, I, I think that the plot doesn't make sense, right? But, you know, when I'm reading when I'm reading the Bible or whatever, I'm not doing it for the plot. Right. You know what I mean? Like, and so if the plot doesn't make sense, as it often doesn't (laughs) (laughs) in the Bible. I mean, that's one of the characteristic features, actually, of the Bible. That's not a reason for me to turn away from it because I didn't go to it for a ripping good yarn. I went for it because I feel like it has some sacred lesson to convey or deliver, right? Right. I mean, the places in the Bible where I want to turn away is when the lesson which it conveys seems to me sometimes not sacred, sometimes profane, right? That's when I struggle with it, right? And so that's the struggle that that I have with that as a sacred text. For this, like, I agree that, like, there is something kind of super contrived about the way that they arrive at at Hogwarts, about the way the Whomping Will is introduced, about them being in trouble as they arrive. I think the question we need to ask, for the sake of this podcast anyway, is not whether we like or dislike how it's plotted, but what is the lesson that's getting us like what is the sacred thing that's coming from this why would the sacred text be willing to sacrifice the convincingness of its plot for the sake of some other thing that it's delivering to us and what is that other thing right and i don't know what that is yet we should need to keep talking keep talking about it well i think that that is the thing that really frustrates me about the chapter is that i think that one of the gifts that this book gives us right is the right is about the power of love and the power of anxiety as love, right? O- often Hermione is very anxious for other people and that is how she shows her love. And similarly with Molly. And I just think this chapter does such a profound disservice to Molly. Mm-hmm. Like there's just no way, A, that she's that dumb about cars. Like I that moment where Arthur's like, don't tell Molly. And Molly's like, oh, this car that I can see clearly with physics from the outside is actually roomy in this other way. Like Molly did not make it to 45 years old without understanding the physics of cars. And then that she wouldn't notice that her kid hadn't gotten on the train and run out. I like the emotional resonance of this is not fair to me to one of the heroes of the story which I think is Molly. It's just not fair to any of the women. I don't think McGonagall would let the boys get away with this. They could have died. They broke the international secrecy code. Like what they did is so bad. It's so horrible. It risked Arthur's job. I also don't believe that the boys would be this dumb after Molly yelled at them in the previous chapter about you could have been killed. You could have lost your father his job. I feel like it's doing a disservice to all of the characters who I love. And that and that is what frustrates me about it. Now I want to talk myself into loving it. People do make these big of mistakes and chaos ensues and blah, blah, blah. I think all that's true, Vanessa. I, my own reading of it, I don't see it as sort of um, 
impugning Molly or McGonagall as much as in your reading, although you're having described it makes me think that maybe I need to complicate my reading some more. (laughs) But to me, what's really emphasized here is not, I think Molly did probably notice, right? It's just the, the boys were so impulsive and so hasty that they did not wait the 30 seconds it would have taken for Molly to come back out of the barrier and see that they were there. I also don't know, like, is the barrier blocked the other direction? Right. In order to create some problems so that no one can get them and retrieve them and get them on the train. And with McGonagall, I read that more as like, you know, I remember episodes from my own childhood or teenage years, which not as dangerous as what just happened (laughs) to to Ron and Harry, to be fair. But like where a thing I thought I was going to get really in trouble about because it it actually scared my parents more than made them angry that they were willing to react with some kindness and Mm -hmm. felt like that I had because I was scared too that I had learned my lesson or whatever, right? So I read McGonagall as just being kind of, just kind of caring. Like she didn't need to punish and be angry because she was pretty sure that lesson had been delivered and also was kind of relieved that they had not been hurt worse. What I really read here is just like this ridiculous impulsiveness of these boys, which it's to an extreme, it's turned up to 11 maybe in this chapter. But I think that kind of impulsiveness is something that, people do sometimes, right? Sure. I think, and I think that Gryffindors especially, you know, we talked, I think, in the last book about the kind of border between courage and recklessness, right? I think there is a kind of blurry boundary between the two and that these two boys are pushing that boundary. I also think after everything that happened last year, they must be feeling pretty confident about about themselves, right? They They might be developing some invincibility sort of complexes mm-hmm. or whatever because they he defeated Voldemort and they saved the school and they were and Ron they, just rescued Harry Ron just from rescued the Harry, right like yeah. this there haven't been consequences for this stuff before apart from Molly shouting at them which they're tween boys right like that is not necessarily going to have a big effect upon them so I, I agree and I wonder if the the chapter also doesn't have some awareness of that because because when McGonagall says to them at the end you could have sent an owl like you, you could have waited 30 seconds. It's the chapter seems to know it's made up this very unlikely scenario. If it's a sacred text, why is the chapter willing to strain our suspension of disbelief, strain our credulity? Like what is the thing it's trying to get across? And the only thing I can come up with is like it's it's really trying to impress upon the reader how these two boys' courage is starting to border upon recklessness. But I'm not sure what that gets us. I'm not sure if that's worth the price, right, yet. So, Vanessa, I'm interested, like, what you think about this reading, but also, like, with respect to our theme of anxiety. Courage and recklessness, we might be able to understand as sort of an obverse or opposite of anxiety, or it's related to anxiety somehow. So is there a way that we can think about this reading and also dig deeper into what we want to think about when we think about anxiety in this chapter? Yeah, I think that we are seeing the ways in which anxiety can be helpful. They don't seem anxious about the fact that they didn't get on the train, right? They seem like confused and maybe a little frustrated and like, oh, shoot, right? But they don't seem like, oh, my God, there isn't the sense of panic. Like, what are we going to do? I don't know how we're going to get to school. And so what we maybe see in the chapter is that just like pain can help us learn when there's an infection, anxiety can help us see when there's a risk. And what they should have felt anxiety about is getting in a flying car and not using the invisibility booster and 
doing so in broad daylight and none of those anxiety wires were tripped and therefore they did this incredibly reckless thing. And so this makes me feel a tremendous amount of compassion for anxiety because anxiety can prevent us from doing really dumb things. Yeah, I think that I think you're right. I think that because, you know, I mentioned earlier that that I have loved ones who have anxiety disorders, like I think because anxiety can become disordered, we tend to think about anxiety as a bad thing only, right? Just like when pain is excessive, pain is a bad thing. But I think you're right. Anxiety, if it's not disordered in particular ways, anxiety lets you know, hey, here's something which is new or risky that at the very least you need to slow down and pay attention to what's going on. Harry and Ron, all they need to do is slow down. Right. All they need to do is just not act so hastily. You know, if they arrived to school a day late because they couldn't get through the barrier, fine. (laughs) Right. Or if they wait a half hour and Arthur and Molly have to drive them in the Anglia up to Hogwarts to get them there in time. Fine. They just need to feel anxious enough that they don't get into the car and start it up. They don't even need to feel anxious enough that they don't walk to the car. Like, They can feel anxious up until the very last second when they turn the key in the ignition or whatever it is. And I feel like that is the key moment is where you look at someone else and say, actually, I think this is a bad idea. And that moment of pause, I think, is so important. And that is what the boys just don't have. There's just no pausing, which is one of my two favorite moments of the chapter is when Harry goes, we didn't think. And McGonagall goes, that's obvious. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. I think it's also interesting in the chapter because the kind of affective, descriptive words that we have for the boys all seem very contrary to anxiety, right? Like Totally. They're excited in the car at the beginning. They're laughing. Yeah. And then they're bored in the car, right? When the the drive gets long, right? And like, anxiety is not boredom. It's hard to be anxious and bored at the same time because what occupies your attention when you're anxious is is whatever you're anxious about. Can I tell you my favorite moment in the chapter. This moment is my favorite moment, regardless of what our theme was. But I do think that it is the only moment that the boys are anxious. Great. Perfect. They are falling, gathering speed, heading straight for the solid castle wall. Ron yells, no, swinging the steering wheel around. And then he yells, stop, stop, and hits the dashboard as if that is going to do something. And I do. I love the silliness and uselessness of the actions that they are now taking in a moment of panic. And the fact that only now that it looks like they are going to hit a castle wall has panic set in. Like, how is this the moment? How did it take this? But I do love it. I think it's hilarious. It is hilarious. And I think, like, if anxiety is a moment of pause then that's not what panic is, right? Like there's a point at which that moment of pause gives over to panic because panic is not pausing. Panic is going full bore with whatever you have at hand, even if it's the most ridiculous and ineffective tool and instrument, right? Which is what they're doing, right? Like just shouting stop, hitting the dashboard, <laughs> right? Completely ineffective because they missed the moment of pause and anxiety to avoid this. All they have left for them is panic. But I think, again, like there is some relationship between panic and anxiety, right? We think about, at least I think about anxiety and panic attacks as going together. And I also know that one of the ways that anxiety works is that it folds upon itself, right? In the same way that panic does. So like you might be anxious about 
doing a certain thing. But then you become anxious about having the feeling of anxiety for having that thing. Mm -hmm. And then you become anxious about becoming anxious and anxiety grows and expands and starts to take on some of the features or characteristics of panic where anxiety is no longer the, the useful pause, but becomes the thing that rushes you into a state of panic too quickly, right? And so I don't think that's what's going on with the with boys here, but insofar as their moment of panic helps us think through the relationship between anxiety and panic and helps illuminate how anxiety kind of builds upon itself when it becomes uncontrolled, it's a really useful example, I think. Yeah, I mean, I will say it's the page before where the word nervous pops up for the first mm. time. Mm. The car groans, right? And Harry and Ron exchange nervous glances. And what's so interesting to me is Ron says, it's probably just tired, right? It's never been this far before. And so there's like the denial of initial nervousness, which is something that I I am excellent at. I'm like, this pipe isn't leaking. It's probably sweating, (laughs) right? Like my first instinct is always to be like, interesting things don't actually happen. Pipes don't burst. It's fine. And that is a manifestation of nervousness or anxiety for me is like trying to justify things away. So Matt, what do you make of the fact that it's Snape who catches the boys or like notices and deals with them? I want to read him as anxious and being the person who notices that they aren't there and being legitimately anxious for their safety. But I, I think I'm maybe being too generous <laughs> to dear old Severus. I don't know if you're being too generous, although I think that we can we can say that he was worried about their safety while also not making him a better person than he actually is. Right. right. I think that given the deal that he has made with Dumbledore, like he more than any other teacher is paying attention to where Harry is at all times. Right. I think Snape knows that Voldemort is still around. I think he knows that he has this obligation to protect Harry. And so he knows when Harry doesn't show up for school, right? And we don't know the background here, but he might also know that there is unsafety at Hogwarts, right? And so like, it's not the worst thing in the world if Harry goes home. And also side benefit, I don't have to see him every day, right? I mean, you can see how it can be both things for Snape. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Prose. Casper, I just got a wonderful, wonderful haircut. It looks so good. Thank you. I feel great with it, but I cut off over a foot of hair, and that means my long hair was sort of pulling my curls in one way, and now that I have short hair, I need a totally different hair care routine. Mm. Luckily, Prose is made for people. Not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And so I used the review and refine feature, and I was like, yes, I still want vegan hair care products. Yes, I still want to smell like a lavender field, (laughs) but my hair is no longer long. It is short to medium length. Please send me a different formula of shampoo and conditioner. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash Harry Potter. So you get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash Harry Potter. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash Harry Potter. I mean, should we say more about McGonagall and her kindness at the end? Or what I'm reading is kindness. Maybe it's not kindness. Tell me more about that, because you mentioned something in the beginning when you talked about not liking this chapter, that you think her reaction here diminishes your sense of her characterization as both wise and firm. Yeah. No, I just think that this is the most dangerous thing that the boys could possibly do, and for no benefit. Right. They risk their lives at other points, but like to try to save the world or to try to save Jenny. And this is nothing like this is nothing. This is recklessness for recklessness's sake. And as the head of Gryffindor House, I think it's really important that she have a conversation with them about being brave does not mean being this stupid. I don't need a bigger punishment. I need a conversation about why this was so wrong and like a real articulation of what are you going to do in future situations. I just, I don't think that there's any meaning making of this. And sure, the the boys have a sense that what they did was bad, but I don't think that they understand all of the different moments where they made bad decisions. Yeah, I don't want her to like excoriate them. I, I want her to really break down for them all the different things that were dangerous about this. Yeah. The other thing I thought I might want to say is just like maybe a modest defense of the boys here. Very modest, because I think they're in the wrong. I think they did the wrong thing. But not much from the first book, I think, leads these children to believe that adults actually can be counted on to rescue them when things get bad. Right? Mm -hmm. Molly's the exception. Which is why you're so right to point to Molly as the one who actually is there and does swoop in in important ways, right? But in general, I think in the first book, they feel like if if there's a crisis, adults are either not going to be there in time or not going to do the right thing. And honestly, that that feeling is confirmed through the rest of the books also. Like, adults yeah. are going to let them down a lot. And so... I wonder what part of their impulse here is also the adults at the school have not led them to believe that when they are in trouble, they ought to reach out to an adult rather than decide for themselves how they're going to fix the situation. Yes. And this could have been a moment where McGonagall fixed that a little bit. Absolutely. No, I think that's right. I mean, I think that speaks even more to my modest defense of the boys is a modest condemnation of McGonagall's reaction, right? Because she in that moment needs to say no right we this, 
our job is to to take care of this. It's not your job to take care of it, right? Right. It wasn't your job to figure out a way to get to Hogwarts. Right. Like, that's our job. It's that's your right. job to tell us that you that's can't right. get to Hogwarts. Yeah. <sighs> this chapter, man. So, Matt, it is now time for us to do Lectio Divina. Do you want to pick a sentence for us to look at? Oh, sure. So, Ron says to Harry, why couldn't we get through the barrier? Hmm. I love that sentence. Okay, so step one, Matt, is what's literally going on in the sentence. This one's pretty self-explanatory. Okay, so this is after they've had the full adventure and they've been caught by Snape. They're eating in the office. They haven't been celebrated by Gryffindor yet, but now they're finally taking the pause and asking the questions they should have asked before their trip. Why couldn't we get through the barrier? That's what's literally going on. Yeah. And I love why questions. So I think that this is a great moment. And I love that this moment is given to Ron. It's an important question. And it's interesting that it doesn't occur to Harry that it's because of Dobby. Maybe just the the weeks of bliss at the burrow have made him forget about Dobby. But should he have, like, thought, huh, this strange creature with interesting magic told me he's going to do whatever he can to keep me from getting there? I don't know that he should have. Yeah. There's such an easy explanation of they were the last two, and therefore the barrier just closed, right? Like, they were just yeah. late. And so I think that the readiness of the easy excuse, I actually think that it speaks to the inquisitiveness and brightness of Ron that he notices to ask this question Mm. rather than the the idiocy of Harry. Okay, so step two is what other stories does this remind us of? And what it reminds me of is Passover. Like you're supposed to ask yourself all of these questions on Passover. Why is this night different from all other nights? There are questions, rhetorical questions, baked into the Passover Seder. And there are all these why questions. And yeah, it forces you to tell a story uh, again and again, which obviously is something that I really like doing. Yeah. And forces you to make meaning of it, right? Yep. It's not what is the ritual. It's This is the ritual. Why do we do it? Yeah. What does it remind you of, Matt? I've recently been watching the HBO miniseries Band of Brothers, which mm-hmm. I've never seen before. These soldiers are trained as paratroopers and they go through all this training and they jump out of the sky. And their first real jump in combat is is the invasion of Normandy, is D-Day, right? And it's just, it does not go according to plan, right? How could it when the planes are being fired upon and some planes are getting shot down and, and they're not at the right altitude and everything. It just doesn't work, right? Like the the thing that they thought would work this way and which in a controlled environment worked so smoothly and easily is just completely different. And there's something about the car falling out of the sky and the image of these soldiers like walking out the door of the plane into into open air. Something about is, is just resonating with this idea of the barrier. And maybe just because it's a super affecting series of shows that, that's still kind of on my mind and I'm seeing that. But yeah. But that's that's what's coming back for me. Okay. Step three. What does it remind us of in our own lives? Why couldn't we get through the barrier? <laughs> I mean, why would they have street sweeping on the first day of school in Cambridge? When when a bunch of people are dropping off their kids at school, why would you say, oh, and by the way, no one can park here 
today. That's that just seems nonsensical. Why? Well, so can I take a moment to answer this with you to think it through? Yeah. I know there's a real answer, but go no, ahead. No, no, yes. no. But sh- what should have happened? Should the principal have noticed and like called the m- city municipal office and been like, can we not do street sweeping this month? Like, right. Because obviously it's because street cleaning and the school districts don't talk to one another. Right. But also because like every street is on a different day. Right. And so right. every school is going to be affected on the first day of school because there are a bunch of schools in Cambridge. Right. And so they, they couldn't just. But you don't. Uh, yeah, but you're right. Like, why couldn't just this one street or the two, three streets around just right. not do it this month? Right. It's such an interesting question about like human interruption. Right. Yeah. That like we see signs and we don't think that we can interrupt it. Like the principal yeah. knows the principal couldn't park on the street either. Yeah. And the principal did that math, but we don't feel well, empowered maybe. to. Yeah, maybe or maybe not. But regardless, yeah. I don't feel like we feel empowered to interrupt these things. Like this is yeah, just the right. way it happens. You just get left on the outside the barrier. Well, well. Yeah. What does it remind you of in your life, Vanessa, esteemed co-host? What it reminds me of is my beloved nine-year-old recently was talking to me about, <laughs> this is so dumb. My ego was so dumb. She she knows I, I like exercising. I don't know. And she was like, Vanessa, my fourth grade teacher is doing a sprint triathlon. And she thought I would think that that was cool. And I do. And I was like, why don't I do that? And so I've decided that I'm going to do my first triathlon. And I'm already having the anxiety. I said it to the nine-year-old, right? I was like, I'll do that too. That sounds fun. And she's going to train with me a little bit, right? Like we're going to go on bike rides together. It's going to be fun for she and I to do this. And now I'm like, but why did I do that? Why didn't I have a moment of anxiety and pause? <laughs> and rather than be like, I could do that too. Like, this is this is a dumb thing that I'm doing. It'll be fun. It'll be fine. I don't think it's a dumb thing. Why is that a dumb thing? The worst case scenario is you do a triathlon. That's great. Okay. So step four is what this makes us feel called to in our own lives. Why couldn't we get through the barrier? Matt, what do you feel called to? I mean, I, the, the thing that you said before about celebrating Ron's curiosity, not just curiosity, but sort of inquisitiveness also isn't a strong enough word. Like he, there's a, there's a, there's a level of like frustration in his question, right? Where he doesn't just take for granted that the world is the way it is. That something about his question is like, no, something's really wrong there. And we need to figure out what that is. Like that, mm-hmm. like that impulse is something that I want in my own life, right? Like mm-hmm. that the way things are or the way things have been given to us is so easy to just, just kind of accept. Like you're saying, like the street signs say street cleanings today. And that, oh, I guess it's street cleanings today. So that's the way it is. And there's nothing we can do about it. Like, I think that impulse to ask the additional question, especially like from the different kinds of privilege that I have, like I have the luxury to ask those questions and to and to demand better answers. And so, yeah, I think for my own life, I want to ask the why question, not just out of curiosity, but in the kind of more demanding spirit that I think Ron is summoning in his question. Well, I just want to say that I think that you're someone who already does that. I think we all need to do that as much as we can and more and more. But Well, thanks. I'd like to do it more. Yeah. <laughs> 
I am going to actually sign up for the sprint triathlon that I've been eyeing in April in Rhode Island. In for a penny, in for a pound, you know? Because you don't break promises. I don't break promises. And who cares why? It's time to do it. And Matt, I'm going to sign you up with me. Think of the Instagram. I have not made any promises yet, but I am very thankful for this Lectio Divina. So am I. Thank you for leading us through it. Thank you for picking such a great sentence. Our voicemail this week is from Emily, and we just want to remind everybody that we love getting voicemails, and these days we're particularly enjoying our voicemails that are blessings for characters, so please email them in at hpsacredtextatnotsorryproductions.com. We listen to every single one, and we absolutely love them. Hello, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text team. My name is Emily, and I'm from Wisconsin, USA. I've been thinking a lot recently about how our self-worth, we often tie it to our accomplishments, myself included. And in the penultimate chapter of book one, Matt gives a blessing to Ron for standing up to Harry and Hermione and saying, you are amazing and wonderful, but I am good at chess. And it pointed out that not only is Ron the lesser of the trio, but that he knows it. And yet, in the same book, in the Mirror of Erised, it reveals that his deepest desire of his heart is to be the best, is to be the most standout, is to accomplish everything. But despite that deepest desire, he chooses to remain friends with Harry and Hermione. He chooses to love them and ultimately to love himself, despite the fact that he can't help measuring himself against them sometimes. And that takes an incredible amount of strength and love. I mean, we see this dynamic in another place, but it goes horribly wrong. And that is with the Marauders and Peter Pettigrew, another friend that doesn't quite measure up to his brilliant friends. But he takes that in a place of of fear and hate, whereas Ron chooses love love for his friends, and ultimately love for himself. So a blessing to Ron for his strength and for his love, and a blessing to all of us who need a little extra strength to love ourselves. Emily, it's almost like you knew that we were going to be talking about how great Ron is, which I got to say I'm surprised that that is what I'm talking about at the end of this chapter, where he's such a dodo brain. Thank you, Emily, for your voicemail. And also just for, for pointing out this commitment in Ron to to just be kind and love his friends and to value that more than accomplishment. There's a colleague of mine here at Harvard, a, a guy named Rick Weisbord, and he has this thing called the Making Care in Common Project. And in part of his research, he researches just people's desire to show empathy and to be kind. And And one of the really interesting things his research shows is that if you survey parents, parents believe that the most important thing is kindness and believe that they are telling their children that the most important thing is kindness. But if you survey children, children believe their parents think the most important thing is accomplishment and that what their parents value most is accomplishment. And that there's this gap between what we think we're telling our children is the most important thing and what they are hearing us say is the most important thing. And it makes me think of the house that Ron comes from. It makes me think of the borough. It makes me think of 
Molly. Now, there are mixed messages there, too, because they're very excited about people being prefects and succeeding, right? But you can also see in this family, by the way they treat guests and muggles and Harry, that kindness is a really important virtue in the Weasley home. And so maybe we're not surprised that when Ron feels this internal tension, he makes... I think the wise and the good and the compassionate choice, the one that you that you point out, Emily. So thank you for doing it. It is now time for us to remember members of our community who were lost due to COVID. This is going to be the last week in which we will only be reading the names of people lost due to COVID. We've opened up our memorial section to people who have been lost in our community due to anything. So if you would like us to offer a remembrance to someone who you love, please feel free to go to our website and submit their name. Mumthazuddin Ahmed, 56, a loving father, brother, and husband. Judy Grown, 82, smart, silly mom, grandma. Maureen Walters, 87, a redhead, a newspaper owner, and a beloved grandma. Dasanka, who's 93, a beloved Baba, piano teacher, and karaoke enthusiast. Graylin Jones, who was 53, a big sister, a friend, and a reader. And Glenn McGuire Jr., 85, a storyteller, explorer, and polka lover. May their memories be a blessing. Matt, it's now time for us to offer our own blessings. Who would you like to bless this week? Uh, I know we we had some criticisms for McGonagall, and I know that your reading of McGonagall is slightly different than mine, Vanessa, but I would like to bless Professor McGonagall. Maybe I'm a softie, but I think in that situation, I might have done something very similar. I think as you point out, the boys did almost die. I think they were terrified. And although they deserve to be instructed better into all the risks that they took and why they were so risky and how reckless the, their actions were, you can see that for all McGonagall's hard exterior, she does really love these kids. Um, and I, I like that that is so, so clear in her response in this chapter. So regardless of its wisdom, I want to bless her and her actions this chapter. What about you, Vanessa? I want to bless the house elves who are down in the basement making a bottomless plate of food for Ron and Harry. Ron and Harry did something really stupid and it made the house elves lives harder. And I just think that people don't think of the repercussions of their actions. And one of the repercussions is that the house elves have to be sending up food into a totally different room. And I just want to thank them for their extra effort. Vanessa, next week, we're going to be reading Chapter 6, Gilderoy Lockhart, through the theme of narcissism, which was suggested to us by Shu. And I think you're telling us a story. I am. And what a perfect theme for Gilderoy Lockhart. You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. The only reminder we have this week before we give our thanks is that we have some new tiers on Patreon. Go and check them out. You can get ad-free episodes, blooper reels, blessings for women of Harry Potter, and a bunch of other really great stuff. 
We are Not Sorry Production, a feminist production company. Our executive producers are Ariana Nettleman. We are edited and produced by AJ Yaramas. Our engineer is Erica Wong. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Bull, and we are distributed by Acast. Thanks this week to Emily, who sent us such a wonderful voicemail, to Lara Glass, Julia Argy, Nikki Zoltan, Casper Terkyle, Stephanie Paulsell, and everyone who sent in the names of their loved ones. Song? No, you, you don't have to do the song if you don't okay. want to. I thought we were, I thought we were doing the song, but I guess you don't like singing. I've learned today. <laughs> Et- etymology <laughs> corner with Matt. If I had known I was going to do it so regularly, I just feel like I would have spent more time writing a better writing song. Writing it, yeah. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.